Hello and welcome to the BA Brew. I'm Mike. I'm Carl. I'm Jonathan. And today we'd like to talk about Carl's new book, which is The Thoughtless Design of Everyday Things, um, which is, I read a few bits of uh, the material at the start of the, your book, Carl. It's, it's an interesting concept there. We've got some, some interesting ideas to go through. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the, the book and where it came from? Sure. Um, like most of you, I'm sure that you've uh, sometimes used products that made you wonder if the designer of that product had ever used a product of that kind in his life before, because it just didn't make any sense. You say, what were they thinking when they made this? And that can happen with physical products like cars or appliances in your house. It can happen with all sorts of software systems, websites. We run into it all the time. I ran into another example just yesterday where you just immediately experience something and say, this could have been done better with almost no effort if they just thought about it a little bit. And so I had collected a bunch of examples of these kinds of products over my uh, life, really. I had a little catalog in my brain. And so I decided to write this book about the, uh, the thoughtless design of everyday things with the idea of not just griping about the problems, we can all do that, but also trying to see why are products thoughtlessly designed sometimes, at least from our point of view as consumers, and also uh, what can we learn from that? And so as I sorted through all these well, over 200 examples of poor and some good designs as well, I realized that there are nine fundamental principles about design that these products violate. And that's what I mean by thoughtlessly designed products. Jonathan, Jonathan, what, what were your thoughts when you uh, had a look at I've, I've invested in the book and um, I, I'm going to say, I haven't read it in detail, all of it. I read the first three, four chapters in detail. Um, and then I, I kind of I skip through to the end and sometimes uh, that could be quite useful. But I think you save some real nuggets for the end in terms of and I can see it. There's a thread going through the book in terms of think about the context of the use of the product, the service and bring in real users and prototype, prototype, iterate. And, and, and that little bit of additional checking uh, is, is the, the phrase, I think, cut, uh, measure twice, cut once, kind of that additional checking mm -hmm. is just missing on certain products. And, and, and since you know, we, we talked about this as a pod, just every time I see something that isn't working or doesn't perform as you'd expect or isn't intuitive, I'm just, it just jumps out at you. And for me, this this is for me quite an important book to go alongside the other work you've done, Carl, in software requirements, requirements engineering, because what it does is I, I think it does, it takes the discussion forward to think about the implications of design on the work of the requirements engineer. That's what I'm getting from the book as I, I've been reading through it. And I think it's a, a, a little bit of a, um, it could be, like a wake up call for requirements engineers that pick up this book to think about design more actively than they are already. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think is really positive about the book is that it, it, it helps the requirements engineer to think about iteration prototyping. So therefore how requirements engineering fits in the agile context. Yeah, it's, um, it's, Interesting. I was thinking of a phrase that somebody actually used to describe a friend of mine at school many, many years ago, a lot, a lot more years ago than, than you, you would remember, Jonathan. But somebody was described as having delusions of adequacy. And it's interesting that we could probably think about some of our product and software as, as having or somebody having a delusion that that was adequate and it's not quite. 
and I think I mean, you, you sort of allude to that quite quite a lot in the book about that. Uh, just, it's nearly there, but not quite. Yeah, I saw an example of that just yesterday, actually. I was using a website, which it was a government website, which was actually pretty well designed in general. It worked fine. But there were a couple of places where just that little bit of extra thinking and, and maybe having it uh, evaluated by some real typical users instead of just being handled by designers and, and testers could have made the difference. Uh, so for example, I filled in all the fields in this form and I submitted the page and I got an error message. Uh, and one of the fields was for my address. Well, my street address is on, I live on 119th Drive and I abbreviated that DR period. That didn't seem like a peculiar sort of abbreviation to me. And it complained that I could only have certain special characters in the fields and a period wasn't one of them, uh, which is weird in an address, I think. But could it not have caught that earlier or could it not have even just told me you can use these characters only so that I wouldn't make a mistake. And I think that's one of the themes that we have in, in the products, uh, particularly with computer systems, is to try to make it hard for users to make mistakes mm. and make it easy to recover from mistakes. So the best approach is to make it impossible for the user to make a mistake. Mm. Well, if you've got a free form entry field, you can't make it impossible. They can put anything in there. But you can make it hard for them to make a mistake by giving them the rules right up front. Have mm. you ever tried to create a password and you have to guess which characters you can and cannot yeah. use in the password. Incrementally, you know, just one at a time, you find out what characters are bad. Just tell me what characters work and I'll try to get it right. Yeah, that, that was exactly the example I was thinking of, Carl. I, I was thinking of uh, somewhere recently, actually, how recently, where I had to put a password in and I put a password and it'd say, no, that's not valid, try again. But, <laughs> yes, very helpful. Bit of a clue, <laughs> bit of a clue. Uh, but yeah, nightmare. What about you? It tells you, you you can't use a password you've used in the last two occasions, but it, it waits until you've reset and, and yeah. And and if that's linked to a form at all, which it often mm -hmm. isn't, but sometimes you clear out, it clears out the form and you have to start again. And, and oh, that's worse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, those are the kind of, of systems when I say, you'd better hope I don't find the person who designed this because we will have a very unpleasant conversation. I, I have a particular bugbear with, um, I mean, we're going down the software route rather than product, but we'll come back to product in a while. I have a particular bugbear with um, these automated telephone systems where you, you they recognize your voice and they ask you a question and then they, it just doesn't, it doesn't cope with the combinations that you want. And uh, I've, I've got to various points where it just cuts me off because it's given up trying. It's like, no, I want to talk to a person. I <laughs> talk to a person. Yeah, sorry. Let's, well, let's kind of related to that, related to that is the idea that <clears throat> they ask you to verify uh, information, account number or whatever before they hand you to a person, but none of that information actually makes it to the person they ultimately mm. connected to and you start all over again. Mm. I, I encountered one, it was a, a telephone operative, a computer-based telephone operative, and, and it actually responded and resolved my query without me having to speak to someone and it, it, it worked and I was just like, wow, this is the first time I've talked to one of those assistants and I've got an outcome. It was to resolve an issue with some with broadband. Um, and, and, and I was shocked almost that, that the system worked. I was like, wow, no mistakes. It, it, it checked the, the issue, did a diagnostic, gave me the result and, and the issue was resolved. And, and, and I shouldn't be in a state of being shocked 
Exactly. That's, I think, the key message from that story, Jonathan, is that you're, you were astounded uh, at how brilliantly it actually worked. And, and we shouldn't be astounded when something works the way it ought to or is designed thoughtfully for our convenience. That should be the norm. We should be able to expect that with everything and deviate from that occasionally, and then occasionally be astounded when something goes far beyond what you'd expect. Yeah. But, but it is so common that we have these thoughtlessly designed, harder than necessary to use products that we're amazed when it's, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, it's just doing what it's supposed to. You shouldn't be amazed, mm. but we well, have to be. One of the things I, uh, that came through in the book was the, for me, the, the look at different user profiles, user communities, um, and thinking about accessibility. So people with different range of, of impairments, cognitive, visual, um, sight, for example, mm -hmm. physical impairment, and, and thinking about the context of the use of the product, the service, the software, from that user's perspective in the real world environment as well. And, and, and the other thing that the story in the book that, that really caught me was the, you trying to open the, the, the boot, um, the trunk, <laughs> in the, mm -hmm. the hire car and not being able to find the handle no. and, and and it's just it's just ridiculous how <laughs> and trying to prevent the user making a mistake but make it obvious what what the function is and um how to use it. it's just 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 brutal common sense i think um mike you would think <laughs> yeah but obviously it's not Mike, I think you've got some examples, have you? Of, uh... Well, yeah, I was I was thinking about various things. I mean, over I mean, you, you encounter all sorts of things, and as a bit with the BA head on, I think no, that's not quite right. That's not quite made it. And I was thinking um, a really nice teapot. My wife likes proper tea done in a pot um, with tea leaves. Um, but this nicely designed teapot, um, but the handle gets to it's a stainless steel teapot, but the handle gets hot, so you can't pick up pick up the teapot by the handle to pour it because it, it's, it gets too warm. So you have to use a, a, a tea towel or something to grab all of it. Um, probably one of my most amusing ones, actually it wasn't a problem with the design of the product. It was, it was more the installation. And I don't know whether that was an issue with the, um, the instructions, but it was when we were traveling, I think, it, I think we were in China and in the gents, they got, um, they got these lovely urinals, but they were about two feet higher than they, <laughs> You could they could comfortably be used. So I don't know whether they designed especially for people who were two feet up taller than me, which is I'm not I'm not tall, but two feet taller than me is quite a bit taller. But obviously these have been put in and they've not really thought about the use. And again, that's the issue, isn't it? It's it's that use. Yeah, I think that's a key. That's a key point is the idea of focusing on usage. And yeah. in your experience, Mike, with the tea kettle. Uh, the first thing that you thought when your wife went to pick up the handle and it was too hot to hand to to hold, she said, "Did no one try this before they started selling these?" That's your immediate reaction, and that's exactly the point I'm complaining about in the book. Mm. Yeah, because with that, you'd think that that's an obvious use of the teapot. It shouldn't be an edge case, so that shouldn't be a surprise <laughs> that somebody's put boiling water in this teapot <laughs> and then wanted to pick it up to pour it out into a cup. Mm. Yep, <laughs> excellent example. It's the happy path, isn't it? And uh, is it one of the design lessons to get real users to interact with the product, with the service, and and just you know, try it in a in a real world scenario? And for the teapot and for the toilet, it's kind of that that step's been skipped. Yes, yes, and I think that's one of the keys to design success is to 
Uh, well, first of all, you have to plan to iterate because you're not going to get the design right the first time you try something. So then you ask yourself, well, okay, how do I know what to change when I'm iterating? Well, you need the input from people, preferably real users whenever you can, to do exactly the kinds of things we're talking about and say, you know, if you're going to if you're going to have the bathroom designed this way, you're going to have to have little stools for people to stand on. <laughs> you know? So let's design it some other way and let's figure that out before we mount a lot of things on walls. You know, mm -hmm. and It's so much cheaper to figure that out early than late. Absolutely. It's dangerous consequences as well, with burning your hand, falling off the, uh, the lavatory. Um, yep. there's, um, I, think, I think in the book there's an example of a, it's an electric car to, and to open the door you can damage the car. If yes. you use the wrong lever and it's kind of like, wow, there's no protection of other products. So they identified the problem that, uh, that actually if you, if you do something that somebody could do, will dam actually damage the car. Yeah. 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 That's genius, isn't it? And, and it's even worse than that because the, there are two controls in this electric car that a friend of mine owns for opening the door. One is the, the usual standard one you should use under normal circumstances. The second is kind of an emergency uh, situation uh, opener, which would be used if the car lost power and, and you had to do things manually. The problem is it's the second one, the manual one that can cause some damage to your vehicle. And yet instinctively, just because of the positioning and layout of the controls, that's the one your hand goes to, not right. the other one. That's so it's a it's a combination of things, and I think that this is another interesting design principle, which uh, again BAs would be well, uh, well uh, in mind to to keep this consideration, which is that uh, a lot of times what seems like small design decisions accumulate into a bigger problem, mm. and that was the problem that I had when I I couldn't open the boot on that uh, rental car because uh, I couldn't find the handle on the back anywhere. And so I said, well, let me look at the key fob and see if there's a button on the remote. There was not. Let me look inside the compartment of the, you know, the driver's compartment and see if there's a lever somewhere or a button. There was not. So by not giving you those very common alternatives that every other car I drive has, uh, and then making the, the handle completely hidden, I simply couldn't figure out how to open it up. I had to get help. Interesting. I mean, what I'd like to, I mean, we, can, we can probably spend a lot of time moaning about the things that have not worked so well. What I'd like to do is turn that around and say, well, what were, the, what were your recommendations uh, to, to try and prevent some of these uh, howlers occurring? Yeah, and that was one thing that I did in the book. And as I sorted through all of these examples, I realized that there are lessons buried in each of those. It's not just, boy, somebody sure did something silly. It's what can we learn from that that we can uh, pass on to others, both designers to do a better job of designing products for use as opposed to just their features. And as consumers, and we're all consumers of goods and services and products of all kinds. Um, and so uh, probably you've had the experience of buying something that seems reasonable. You get home, you try to use it like, well, well that's not what I wanted. And then you take it back and try to get another one or something. And I think if we keep some of these lessons in mind, and I have 70 of these design lessons sprinkled throughout the book drawn from these actual product experiences, uh, if we keep those lessons in mind, we can do a better job as consumers of defining our own requirements for the product before we go out to buy something that sort of looks okay and take it home and say, that's not right. Mm. And uh, so I think the, the kinds of examples that I've talked about, uh, or the kinds of lessons are simple things like, make it easy to use a product correctly and hard to use it incorrectly. Yeah. Okay. Mm. 
Mm. I, I can't remember the exact design lesson, but um, there's one around just making it, it obvious. The, 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 I think you give the example of the, the fuel gauge on the car uh, with the arrow pointing to which side of the car it is that the, the, the uh, fuel tank's on. And just, just that simple little thing that makes it obvious where, where is the fuel tank. It's right. Um, Amazing that, because that is just such a gen that's such a tiny nudge, isn't it? It's such it is. a simple yeah. thing to do, but it can make quite a difference. If you're in an, an unfamiliar car, look at that fuel gauge. I only heard about that fairly yeah. recently, but that's that's quite a quite a good one. It is just very simple things like that can can just make things easier for people, and and then you become you get so that you expect it in other cars or in other similar products, and you know to look for it. Uh, so it's a it's a I think that's that's correct, Jonathan. The idea of making things easy and obvious to use, and you can do that in a very small incremental improvement that provides a lot of consumer value. Mm. Um, there's a lot in there around usability as well and error protection as well, which I, I think I think you referenced Nielsen's um, work in that space and error protection is one that, that, that I think we should think about a little bit more. And, and my example that I've got is I'm trying to use an electronic handbrake in a new car for the very first time. Hmm. No error protection. I, I, I was trying to take the car off my driveway and my, my drive, the, the house is behind the car and um, the car's rolling back towards the house, and I'm revving the engine, trying <laughs> oh, to take no. this electronic handbrake off. Um, I, I was quite scared I was going to smash the car and the house. Um, I ended up looking at a YouTube video to work out how to use this electronic handbrake, and it, it, it was very memorable once I'd learned how to use it. Um, you don't need to touch the thing. You don't need to press the button to, 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 to leave, uh, to take the, the handbrake off. But... Um, just a little bit of thought about error protection and that that learnability, which Nielsen talks about in his framework right. as well. How do you learn? You shouldn't need to refer to an instruction manual or to right. a YouTube video or, or ask for help. It should just be, be obvious, shouldn't it? Yeah, and, and uh, you see this lack of obviousness in so many products that, that are ordinary things. Um, so there's kind of three related ideas. One is to make things easy to use. Another is to make them obvious to use. Uh, like how to open that that latch on the, the car that I couldn't find. And the third is to um, make it uh, easy to remember, okay? Um, and, and also make it intuitive whenever possible. So I was visiting a friend of mine once and I staying in his house uh, and I was taking a shower and I could not figure out how to get the water to come up through the shower head instead of out through the tub spout. Now, I've taken a lot of showers. I've been a traveling consultant for 25 years. I've stayed in a lot of hotels. I thought I knew how bathtubs worked and showers worked, and I couldn't figure it out. I finally, after about five minutes, had to get out of the tub, go to the door, call down to his wife and say, how do I get the water to come out through the shower head? And it turns out there was a little ring on the bottom of the tub spout, and you counterintuitively, you pull the ring down to make the water go up. So I, I thought that was a good example of making something that was not obvious because you couldn't even see that ring from the top, let alone with my glasses off in the tub, you know. <laughs> and so uh, you might think, well, that's just me. So, and this is another interesting point is we feel kind of dumb when those sorts of things happen. You say, well, mm -hmm. why couldn't I figure that out? It turns out most of the time, it's not us being dumb. It's somebody not doing a good job of design. And since I first wrote about that 
three other people have told me they had the exact same problem with the exact same product in various contexts. Mm. They couldn't yeah. figure out how to get the water either. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a scope for a sort of mutual support group to share some of these experiences <laughs> and just say, yeah, we're 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 all experiencing some of this, and yeah, interesting. But, well, uh, I've been collecting examples from people, so I, I would love to hear, you know, I'm, I'm like the tea kettle example, I love to hear these kinds of examples because we have an infinite supply of them. Mm. And uh, mm. maybe if we collect more of those and through this mutual suffering group you're describing, <laughs> Mike, yeah. we, can, uh, we can encourage people to think more carefully. It's not just us, everybody has these problems. Yeah, I got given a, a, quite an expensive set of headphones a few years ago. Um, by my wife, and uh, I, I thought well, these these look great. They're really nice looking feel and the quality. And I, I put them on, listened to music for the first time. Really rich sounds, really enjoying the experience. Twenty minutes later, my ears are hurting because the the headphones have pinned my ears to my head. <laughs> now, and then this is quite interesting because in terms of, I I don't want to say to my wife, oh, you know, the really expensive gift you got me, not very good actually. Because it, it, I didn't want to offend her and and to to upset her, so I end up wearing these headphones for the next two years <laughs> before I upgrade them. To a different... But you're a good husband, though, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, luckily she doesn't watch the uh, podcast, so she's going to get away with it. And, and your ear surgery has been completely successful. So yeah, it like looks fine. Yeah, they look perfectly right, yeah, natural. They, they were sticking out of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, an example, probably, where somebody chose materials that were inappropriate, you know, too stiff or didn't provide an adjustability. Yeah. You know, account, you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, the idea of uh, accounting for the, the huge range of diversity of human beings yeah. in, in so many different dimensions, size, shape, uh, language, uh, all sorts of things. And uh, headphones that are adjustable so you can change the angles yep. to fit different heads or something are much better than something with a rigid plastic thing that's going to compress your brain through yeah. your ears. That's just uh, very frustrating, especially when they sound good. It's very frustrating. I, I think I think we're going to have to, on that note about compressing Jonathan's brain, which is a dangerous thing, <laughs> I, I think we're going to have to draw this to a close because um, we, we could end up talking about this for the rest of the afternoon and, and we still have other other stories to tell. So um, I'd like just like to say thank you very much for joining us, Carl. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in to join us today. Um, if you do have any ideas for future episodes of the BA Brew, then please email us at babrew at assistkd.com. Thanks a lot and see you on the next brew. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.